All right, thank you. And Seth, thanks for preaching for me last week while we were away. Appreciate it. Um, it's good to see everybody today. I'm glad it's not raining this morning. I thought it was going to be raining uh, this morning. It's just going to rain this afternoon during the picnic. So, the, you know, I, I think we're all invading the Graham's house from what I understand. It's all coming inside. So I hope they're ready. I know they're helping out with nursery and stuff today downstairs, but we're all joining them at their house after worship today. Uh, but it's good to see everybody. It's also good to be back. Our family had the opportunity to be part of, uh, well, you know, when you're an adult, you don't think of yourself as being like a summer camper at summer camp anymore, but uh, not this past week. We've been back this past week, uh, but last week, uh, prior to that, when we were gone, we had the opportunity to be part of family camp, and uh, that was pretty cool. We spent most of the week sitting around a, a bonfire and uh, just enjoying time together, so it was very restful and relaxing. I had very limited cell phone connectivity, which seems refreshing, doesn't it? Like that, I, I actually was like, you know what? The fact that I can't answer my phone kind of just, it's one less thing that I have to think about. Uh, although there was a field, they told us ahead of time, there was an orientation. They said, if you really need cell phone connectivity, walk out to this field. And if you go out into this field, somehow, because there's no tree cover, uh, there is limited cell phone connectivity. And so I tried it and it worked. So whenever I needed to use my phone or whenever I needed to check something, I just had to walk a little ways into a field and just uh, wait for a signal and I got it and everything was fine. So it was different and it was fun and hopefully we'll be able to do it again. Now, the course of the, over the course of the summer, we've been looking at who is God? That's the big question that we've been asking during the course of the summer. And we've been looking at the different things that are revealed to us in Scripture about who He is, and likewise, what He's like. And uh, we, we've talked about the Trinity, we talked about the uniqueness of God, we've talked about all different things related to Him, now we've been talking about various attributes or perfections of God, and today we're going to look at three uh, more of those attributes. And those attributes that we're looking at today are, are the fact that God is just, the fact that God is loving, and the fact that God is merciful. He is the perfection of justice. He is the perfection of love. He is the perfection of mercy. And it's interesting, and I'll, I'll reference this a couple times today, but all three of those attributes, there are some very clear and very obvious ways from the Scriptures that we can see that they work together, His, his justice and His love and His mercy. So we're going to start off this morning by looking briefly at Psalm 89, starting with verse 13, and then from there we're going to jump to a bunch of related scriptures. But if you would, begin with me in Psalm 89. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it'll be on page 495. But we're going to look at Psalm 89 for just a moment to set this up, to put our minds in kind of the right perspective here in relation to His justice and love and mercy. And uh, in verse 13 of Psalm 89, we read this. The psalmist says, You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together this morning. And we thank you, Lord, that you allow us to carve out this time to be able to study it and to be able to worship you and to be able to praise you for the things that we read in it. And Lord, we pray that today as we spend time thinking about your justice and thinking about your love and thinking about your mercy, that we would recognize that you are the perfection of each of these attributes. And likewise, you graciously bestow the ability within us to mimic these attributes, to copy them, to mirror them. But Lord, you display these things to us and you utilize them in our lives and you do so for your glory and for our benefit. And so we're grateful for this reality. And so Lord, we pray now that as we look at your word together, that you'd help us to appreciate your justice and your love and your mercy a little bit more and that we would give you praise for who you are and for how you operate in our day-to-day lives. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the past uh, group of weeks here, again, we've been looking at different attributes of God and seeing how the Lord uses these attributes to impact our lives. And when we consider the attributes of God, so when we're considering these various things that God's made known to, to us about himself, I think it's very likely that we probably favor some of his attributes over others, at least in their application toward us. And what I mean by that is this. So, for example, we're probably grateful that God is loving and that he actively shows us his love in a variety of ways. And we're probably grateful that God is merciful and that he's made a point to extend his mercy toward us for our eternal benefit. But are we just as thankful for God's justice as we are for his love and mercy? Now, truthfully, as we'll demonstrate in just a few moments as we look at a variety of scriptures here, God's justice and his love and his mercy, they all go hand in hand. They all work together. They complement and they work perfectly together. But still, most often, I tend, I think we tend to be more thankful for God's justice when it's applied to somebody else than when it's applied to us. And what I mean by that is this. Have you ever taken the time to just ask God to either correct or discipline you? you ever Like when you're praying about things, like this morning when you woke up and you had your toast and your coffee and you're sitting at your kitchen table and you're praying and you're thinking through the day, did you, anyone start off their day asking the Lord to correct and discipline them? Now, it's possible some of you may have, but I would doubt that most of you have And by the looks on your face, I don't think any of us did, right? I don't think any of us woke up today and said, Lord, I really need to be spanked, like really bad. I need you to do this for me immediately. But how often have we rejoiced when we've observed the Lord enact his his justice or his correction or his discipline towards somebody who has offended us or who has done something wrong to us? A lot of times, you know, when we've seen the Lord do something like that or correct somebody that we, that we, uh, think had it coming, we're like, yeah, mm-hmm. That's about right. That's how I want God's justice to work. Against people who offend me or irritate me or upset me or who have harmed me. But when we're, we look at the scriptures that we're looking at today, what we're going to see is, is that God is perfectly just and He's perfectly loving and He's perfectly merciful. And we're also going to be shown why our hearts should be prompted to praise God with thankfulness for the various ways in which he has expressed these attributes toward us. Because in reality, 
If not for God's justice and love and mercy, we would have no hope for the future. Think about that for a second. All three of those combined together. If not for the justice, love, and mercy of God, we would have no hope for the future. You would be hopeless. I would be hopeless. Collectively, humanity would be hopeless. So let's start this morning by looking at the fact that God is just. God is the perfection of justice. Now let me bring up uh, a portion of Scripture from Isaiah. In Isaiah 61, verse 8, the Scripture tells us this, For I, the Lord, love justice. Let me say that again. It says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So that's from Isaiah 61, verse 8, where the Lord says, I love justice. That's how he describes himself. Anyone here play a sport when you were in high school? Many of us, all right. Uh, I played several sports, but in the spring, for two years, uh, our school had a tennis team, and a friend of mine and I, we used to spend a lot of our summer growing up, before I started working at camp, we used to play tennis together all the time. It was pretty much a daily thing, and so when I realized our school had a tennis team, I thought, all right, I'm going to join this tennis team, and so I joined it. And uh, we had meets that were a variety of places. Most of them seemed like they were a distance away, um, and uh, because they were a distance away, there would be a lot of time for us as the tennis team to just chat on either a van or a bus taking us to wherever the meet was. And we would talk about all sorts of stuff. This is before we had different, you know, before we would have had smartphones or anything like that to distract us or, or impede conversation. So we would talk and we would play the radio. And that's pretty much it. And we liked our coach. And I remember uh, I had a, I was in the front seat. So I was riding shotgun on one of the trips. And uh, we were in a school van. And we were talking about a variety of things. And I was talking about certain things with my coach at the time. And the coach paused the conversation for a second, and she looked at me and she said, John, you have a high appreciation for justice, don't you? And I said, I have a high appreciation for justice. I said, what do you mean? She's like, you, you value fairness. You value when things are just. And I, I thought, I think so. You know, like, but I, and I didn't ask her, you know, why did you say that? Like, what, what about what I just said made you say that? But I remember thinking to myself, why would somebody say that or notice that? Why would that be something that would stand out that somebody would feel the need to point out in a conversation? And I honestly had no idea what I said that, that prompted that comment. But I will say this. If you or I place a high value on the concept of justice, if that's something that we value... I believe that we're showing that to some degree, God's image is being reflected in us because he is the perfection of justice. I don't think we would value justice if not for God helping us to value justice or the fact that his image is reflected in us. Now, when you look at scripture and you see the things that are described about God, when God displays his justice, what he's doing is he's either giving out punishment or he's giving out reward to the person who deserves it based on actions they have taken. So when God condemns someone who has rejected him, and he condemns them to an eternity uh, that's apart from his blessings, and apart from uh, just you know the, the joys of fellowship with him, when he condemns someone who's rejected him, what God's doing is displaying 
his justice. And when the Lord, Scripture tells us, he, he dispenses crowns and rewards in heaven to believers who were faithfully obedient to him during their time here on this earth. So when God dispenses these crowns that I think are a little bit mysterious when I see them described in Scripture, and when God dispenses these rewards in heaven, we're also seeing him display his justice. And God's justice is described in various places in Scripture as he enacts it. And he wants us to understand that we need to rely on him to enact his justice as well. Let me show you a couple of portions of Scripture that speak to this. One is from Romans chapter 12, verse 19, where it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. By the way, before I even finish reading that verse, isn't that a verse you've had to remind yourself of at least once in your life? Right? Isn't there some time in your life where you've had to remind yourself of that verse? Where you're like, all right, the scripture says I should not avenge myself. But I just saw the Avengers, and it seemed to go so well for them, and I, I just want to be like them, right? And scripture's like, no, you are not an Avenger. God is the one who avenges. It says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, how about this as it speaks of God's justice in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10? It says, it, kind of on the reverse side, it says, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So as we serve one another, as we serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, the scripture is very clear that God notices that. It's something that stands out to him. It's something that he wants to see among his children. God is perfectly just. Now, to a degree, I think justice intrinsically makes sense to us, meaning most people would tend to agree that there are both good and bad consequences to our actions. And because we crave order, we also desire someone to enforce that order. And we also desire someone to serve as the judge or as the arbiter of what is right and what is wrong. And again, I believe that that desire that's within us is an internal testimony that should help convince our hearts that we were created by a God who enforces justice among us. Now, God revealed this attribute of his nature to the very first human he created. God revealed to Adam in Genesis chapter 2 that he is a just God, that he enforces Justice. Look at what we're told in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The scripture there says this, The Lord said to Adam, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now that's a justice statement, isn't it? For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Lord gives Adam parameters, and he says, here's your parameters. And if you cross these parameters, here are the consequences that will, that will take place because I am a God of justice. So you have God telling Adam that there are certain parameters on what he can do. There's lines here that he's not supposed to cross. But as we well know, Adam disobeyed God's direction, and humanity has been experiencing the consequences ever since. But God didn't lie. God isn't unjust. God did exactly what he said ahead of time he would do. It would be a violation of God's 
uh, of our just God's very nature not to punish sin. Sin has to be punished, right? It would be a violation of his nature not to punish sin. His justice requires it. And it's impossible with God to be inconsistent with his nature. So from the time of Adam, mankind has been dealing with the consequences of Adam's act of rebellion. We came from Adam. We inherited Adam's nature. We were born under the wrath of God. And we experience both spiritual death and physical death. And that's perfectly fair. And that's perfectly just. And we have no right to complain about this mess because we're culpable for it just as Adam was because the scripture reveals to us, scripture reveals to us that, that we were in Adam when he sinned. We're culpable for his actions as if we did them ourselves. But thankfully, this isn't where the story ends. Wouldn't it be a very depressing Sunday if the message ended right there? It's like, all right. Have a great week. Go and be blessed. But I'm always grateful that even when we look at that, that that's not where the story ends. Because it would have been, it would have been acceptable if it did. It wouldn't have been unfair of God if the story ended right there. But thankfully, God is loving and God is merciful and His love and mercy complement His justice to provide life and restore relational connection between us and our Creator. But even before we look at God's love, and even before we look at God's mercy, I wanted us to start off this morning by recognizing that God is perfectly just. He is the perfection of justice. And His justice requires that sin be punished. Now, let's jump from there to discussing the fact that God is loving. And as we discuss the fact that God is loving, I want to point out a portion of Scripture that speaks to this. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it tells us a few things about the Lord and His love. We're told this in 1 John chapter 4, it says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. So Scripture tells us that God is love. Now, love now, you might disagree with the statement a little bit, but I'll say it anyway. I don't think love is necessarily a word that is particularly difficult to define, even though that word is used in a variety of ways in the English language. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily a difficult word to define, but I will say that it is difficult to put into practice. If you're trying to put into practice what true love is, that's not a simple thing to do, or that's not an easy thing always to do. And when Scripture describes God as being the perfection of love, it reveals to us through various examples that God, in His love, seeks what's best for us, even at great personal cost to Himself. So if you want to define love in the ways that God is showing love, we're talking about the fact that God seeks what's best for you, even at great personal cost to Himself. He's seeking what's best to us, or best for us, even at great personal cost. He's patient with us. He actively looks out for our well-being. And he wants us to reflect his sacrificial love toward one another in how we think of each other and in how we treat each other. 
And the Apostle John, in the portion of Scripture that I just read from 1 John chapter 4, he directly states in that passage that God is love. And he also made it clear that when we practice sacrificial, unconditional love toward others, what we're doing is we're actually displaying that God lives within us, and furthermore, we find life and the power to love through God. Now, since God is the perfection of love, I don't think it should surprise us that he would also supply the ultimate example of love for us to observe and for us to experience and for us to learn from. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, we're told this. Verse 8 says, but God shows us his, or excuse me, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what's God doing? He's showing us the very nature of his love. He's showing us the perfection of his love. He's giving us the ultimate example of his love for us to observe and for us to experience and for us to learn from, specifically that Christ died for us when we were still sinners. So Jesus Christ, God the Son, died in our place. The just penalty for sin, so when we're thinking back to God's justice, the just penalty for sin was death. So the Lord looked at us with compassion. And he who had no sin of his own, God the Son, Jesus Christ, chose to take our sin upon himself. And in doing so, he satisfied God's justice while also showing us God's love. You see how these things work hand in hand. So now as recipients of God's love, and by the way, we don't deserve this, but we're grateful recipients of God's love, we're also called to sacrificially love one another in very active and very tangible ways that put hands and feet to our affections. So love isn't just an affection that kind of lingers in our mind. That's not what love truly is if we're trying to reflect the love of God. Love is where we actively seek what's best for someone else even at great personal cost to ourselves, because that's what the Lord has done for us. And this is a dominant characteristic that Christ desires to be present among all believers, among any one of us who call ourselves part of the church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he wants that kind of love to be a dominant characteristic among us, in your life and in my life, and collectively as we gather together, you know, even as I look around at our group today, and by the way, this is one of the final weeks where you have elbow room. Once we get into September, we lose elbow room, so enjoy it a little bit today. You know, set your stuff down on the chair next to you, do all that. Um, but if you're a guest with us today, I hope that, you know, as, as you've as you've come and you've experienced the church body here, that at least in some small way, you can sense that you could tell that there's love, genuine love, that exists among the believers who are part of this church fellowship. Because Christ desires that that be a dominant characteristic among his church. In fact, Jesus said this in John 13, 35. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's, that's the mark of a disciple. If you're a follower of Christ, what are we going to do? We're going to start reflecting his heart to one another. Our day-to-day life is going to reflect Christ. Now, let's think about this in practical terms. Because in one sense, it's, you know, it's obviously somewhat easier to talk about this in a theoretical sense. But let's talk about what this looks like on a day-to-day basis as we interact with one another. In practical terms, how is that kind of love lived out? 
Well, it's lived out by serving and sacrificing for one another's well-being. The love of Christ is displayed every time we speak the truth to each other, and every time we meet one another's needs, and every time we carve out time for one another. So when a brother in Christ is having trouble with his water heater, and you repair it for him, that's love. When a sister in Christ is exhausted and tired because she's just had a child, and you take the time to make food for her or fill her refrigerator with a whole bunch of food so she doesn't have to go shopping, that is love. When a brother is struggling with sin, and he comes to you and asks you to pray for him, and he confesses his sin before you, and you hold that in confidence without gossiping it, that's love. When a sister is dying and you take the time to comfort her by sitting beside her bed, reading the scriptures to her until she takes her final breath, that's love. When a child is orphaned or abandoned and you take that child into your home and you clothe that child and you feed that child and you care for that child and maybe you even give that child your last name. That's love. And this is what Christ wants his family to be known for. Because it reflects both his nature and the sacrificial way he's chosen to bless us. And I want to point out something else about his love. It's also worth noting that because God is loving, we can have confidence on the day of judgment. You recognize that day is coming, right? That's the type of thing that most people don't prefer to think about, but it's true. Scripture tells us that we're going to stand before him someday, and we're going to give an account for our lives. And when you think about the fact that you're going to give an account to the Lord for your life, what thoughts flood your mind when you think about that day? Is that a day you're looking forward to or dreading? It's a very real day, but do we look forward to it? Well, the Scripture tells us that as we trust in Jesus Christ, as we know Him, as He loves us and we love Him in return, we'll be welcomed into His presence if He lives within us. His Word tells us this in 1 John 4, 17. I'm going to need you to flick the, to the next slide back there for me. It says, By this is love perfected, with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. So what's the scripture telling us in regard to the love of God and the day we come and stand before him? As we who trust in Jesus Christ have been cleansed of our sin and have been adopted into his family, scripture tells us we can have confidence on that day of judgment. Confidence that we're welcomed into His presence. Confidence that we're loved. Confidence, confidence that we're not going to be ushered away from Him because our trust in Him is genuine. God is loving. One other thing that I want to point out about the nature of God is this. So I'm just going to have you work this for me from the back, I guess. But that's this. God is merciful. Look at what it tells us in Luke chapter 6, verse 36. It says this. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So it says, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. 
Now, mercy is an attribute of God that I regularly pray will become more of a visible part of my day-to-day life as my faith in the Lord matures, because I have to confess that the Lord has regularly shown me that by nature, I am not as merciful as I should be. Some people I know have just a real giftedness in the area of mercy. Uh, that's not an area I feel particularly gifted in, but it doesn't excuse me from practicing it, because what did Jesus say? Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So can I look at Christ and say, yeah, but I don't feel particularly gifted in that area. So can I be the one Christian that can just be mean? Can I just be mean? And can I just be like pushy? And uh, can I not be concerned with other people's well-being? It doesn't work that way, right? The Scripture says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. The Scripture describes God the Father as being merciful, and Christ has encouraged us to mimic that, to follow that. And so I'm encouraged by the fact that the Lord surrounded me with merciful people because what He uses them to do in my life is He teaches me more about His mercy through them. And as my faith has matured, I've been learning to practice mercy, which I also know is not something that in root form I tended to be naturally good at. In fact, I tended to be the opposite. But God is the perfection of mercy. And showing mercy, so think about what mercy really is. Showing mercy involves granting pardon or showing compassion to an offending party. So someone who has done something wrong is shown pardon or is shown compassion. So when God shows us mercy, when he looks at you and he shows you mercy, when he looks at me and he shows me mercy, what he's doing is he's choosing not to punish us in the manner that we truly deserve. It's a very good thing. So how do God's justice and God's love and his mercy all work together? Well, when we look at the totality of what Scripture describes, it it tells us that we deserve condemnation and we deserve punishment from God because of our sin. Yet God, who is loving, sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to this earth to take that punishment on Himself. And in doing so, God's justice and God's wrath were perfectly satisfied. Perfectly satisfied in Christ. And now he's made uh, all who trust in Jesus Christ objects of his mercy. So we were formerly objects of God's wrath. But now our condemnation has been lifted through the work that Jesus accomplished on our behalf. When he lived on this earth without sin, when he died on the cross in our place, and when he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death. Simply stated, we want to simplify this, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God by taking our condemnation upon himself so that we could become objects of God's mercy and welcomed into God's eternal family. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Isn't it amazing, just when you think about this from the personal standpoint, isn't it amazing to consider the fact that we would ever struggle to show mercy? And by the way, I think that's a struggle for most of us at least in some contexts. But it's amazing to think that we would ever struggle to show mercy 
once we've come to experience the great mercy of God. And I think this is why we should never minimize or make light of this attribute of God. Because when we downgrade His mercy, or when we forget what, what He's done for us and the mercy that He's shown us, what we could end up doing is developing a smug or self-righteous attitude that forgets that we were once objects of God's wrath. Now consider that for just a moment, even in light of God's justice. Again, there's going to come a day when we'll stand before His throne. And imagine the fact that there are people walking on this earth, people you and I know and love, who are presently objects of God's wrath, who will likewise stand before Him on that day of judgment with His wrath still upon them. Would you want to stand before the throne of God covered in His wrath, under His wrath? I would not. You would not. Nobody would if they truly believed that was going to happen. And yet for some people, that's going to be the reality. And God's justice, some people, you know, many people on this wor- in this world who ignore Him, who reject Him, will come before Him someday still under His wrath. And yet what the Lord's done for us is He's come to this earth, Jesus Christ came to this earth, took, our, took the wrath of God upon Himself, took our condemnation upon Himself, so that we could become objects of mercy instead of objects of the wrath of God. And when we stand before the Lord someday, we're not going to be able to come before Him and brag about anything we've ever done or brag about anything that we've ever accomplished. The only thing we're ever going to be able to do as we stand before the Lord's throne is say, Christ took my punishment upon Himself. I'm forgiven of my sin. I'm cleansed of my sin through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only thing we're going to be able to say. We're not going to be able to say, you know, I mean, have you ever thought, like, if the Lord actually asked the question, you know, what have you done to deserve coming into my kingdom for all eternity? Nobody could ever say a list of things that would be accurate. I can't list a whole bunch of things that say, well, I was kind to this person, and whenever I'm down here by the shopping center that has a bad traffic light, I'm always courteous to let at least one car out. Always do it. Every day by the pizza place, one car out. It's my good duty for the day. Do you think the Lord's going to look at me and be like, wow, that's so amazing? Or do you think I'm going to get a golf clap like, it's a start. But the truth is, there's nothing I've ever deserved or you've ever deserved that could earn us heaven, but Christ accomplished it for us. He took the wrath of God upon Himself. He satisfied the wrath of God so that we could become objects of mercy who are adopted into His family forever, given His name, and ushered into His kingdom even though we didn't deserve it. As recipients of divine mercy that operates in our life like that, we should joyfully dispense His mercy. So we interact with all the people that the Lord's placed in our lives, we should just dispense His mercy and reflect His mercy because we're recipients of His mercy. God's love and God's justice and God's mercy, they work hand in hand to reveal to us more and more about His nature while also guaranteeing that we'll be part of His kingdom and part of His family for all time. Let these attributes be reflected in your life. If you're thankful for the justice and love and mercy of God, let these attributes be reflected in your life. Bless others with a taste of what you've been blessed with. Let me finish this up by reading from Psalm 145. Psalm 145. And by the way, if you're ever wrestling with 
you know, how do we express our appreciation to the Lord? How do we express our gratefulness? I think a very helpful way sometimes is to read through some of the Psalms and maybe even pray some of these things back to the Lord. But one of them that encourages me is Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, and it says this, and I'll finish up with this today. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your goodness, and for Your mercy, and for Your love, and for Your justice. We're grateful, Lord, that You have blessed us with the privilege of being able to experience these things. Lord, we're grateful to see how Your justice and Your love and Your mercy work hand in hand. We're grateful for the fact that You're kind to us and You're compassionate to us in ways that obviously we don't deserve. The only thing we deserve from You is Your wrath. That's what we've deserved. That's what we could stand before You and say, Lord, I deserve this. Give this to me. Lord, thank You for not giving us what we actually deserve. Thank You for blessing us with what Christ deserves. We're grateful that through the work that Your Son, Jesus Christ, accomplished on our behalf, as we trust in Him, we're transitioned from being objects under Your wrath to being family who are beneficiaries of Your mercy. So again, Lord, as You've extended these attributes toward us, as You utilize these perfections of Your nature to bless us, we pray that we would reflect them in our attitude and in our mindset and in our lifestyle as we interact with one another. We're grateful, Lord, for what you've shown us, and we're grateful for the privileges of being called your own. We're likewise grateful, Lord, for the fact that as we trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, we can look forward to the day when we stand before you. It doesn't need to be a day of, of dread, but rather it can be a day that we look forward to as we see you face to face and live in your presence for all eternity. Thank you, Lord, for these blessings. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. We commit ourselves to you now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.